It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Buckets and Tea NBA show. I'm your host, Catherine Niker. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode today. You know him. You love him. He's an RR regular. It's Samson Folk. How are you? Doing good. You, hanging uh, in. Sorry? Hanging in. Oh, you're hanging in. You're <laughs> hanging in. You're hanging on. Uh, you have labeled your name as Catherine Him. Niker yes. on our on our YouTube video. I just want to give you an opportunity to uh, explain yourself. Well, as everybody understands, the term "him" or "her" uh, in relation to somebody's status reflects like a, you know an elite thing about them. Um, maybe most people would be aware of Shea Gilgis Alexander's Instagram presence, where basically he just creates a bunch of different ways to call himself him. And I wanted to incorporate that for myself, not so much that I think I'm great, more so tongue in cheek. And I thought there was an opportunity to do it with your name. So Catherine Niker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, jokes are always great when they need to be explained. Um, okay. It's an opportunity to take the joke further, to be quite honest. Yes, A real is. comic. And wow. it's good that I'm explaining wow. this to you. <laughs> <laughs> a real comic sees that as more room to stretch their legs oh my god sure sure <laughs> um all right let's get into some nba here uh we've been bantering for a while before we started um we've got an nba final set up it's gonna start tonight we're, we're recording this on thursday uh the denver nuggets versus the miami heat First of all, I just want to get your thoughts. How do you even feel about this matchup? Did you think anything like this would happen? Like, how do you, how have you even been gauging this NBA playoff so far? So I was a guy who wants the Heat beat the Bucks and wants the Celtics beat the 76ers because the Heat were going to beat the Knicks. That much was obvious to me. Um, Giannis's mm -hmm. injury changed the complexion of the Heat series, I think, quite a bit. And, you know, credit to the Heat for winning those games regardless and then winning some games against Giannis, too. Uh, but once it was the Heat and the Celtics, despite their 3% chance via ESPN, I was uh, the Heat are going to win that series. And then it's just, I just thought that the Nuggets were going to be coming out of the West. I, I, I originally thought it was going to be Bucks and Nuggets, but Heat and Nuggets is good. This has been a super fun playoffs. Both of these teams are especially good at maximizing their defensive pieces, maximizing their movement shooting, and maximizing their off-ball movement and stars. And that is, I know everybody, first off, and this is really, <laughs> I'll take umbrage. If you're talking about ratings for the NBA Finals, take the goose suit off, dude. What are you doing? It's clown stuff. Why? Who cares? Like, the, the game... You don't consume the media of basketball or whatever. It's like you, you you watch the games. And these games, I think, will actually be really good. So that's my take. I think it's going to be really good basketball. If you have to view it through a narrative sense and it has to be year 20 for LeBron or it has to be a finals rematch or any other type of thing like that. You know, I know El Clasico is a big deal because people get to there's like brand recognition with Barcelona and Real Madrid when they play. But the reason why El Clasico is a big deal is because Real Madrid and Barcelona are world-class teams all the time, and the football is good. Um, so just it'll be good basketball. I hope people enjoy it for that. That is my earnest hope. Well, um, I talked a little bit about this last week when uh, J.J. Reddick kind of went on his tangent about how the media does a bad job marketing the sport. Like that, you know, somebody like Jokic could be like a two-time MVP and they don't air a lot of his games and that hurts the league when it comes to like marketing the league, because it's like people should know who the Denver nuggets are. 
people should be excited to see them in a finals. They were like the number one team in the West all season. You know, so the fact that like we're here and people are like, who are the Denver Nuggets? And then what's that ESPN reporter's name? Oh, my God. The sideline oh, reporter. Chris, Ma- Chris Mannix? No, the- it's a girl. Oh, Allie LaForce? Was that who it was? Yeah, she does all the Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy games. Anyway, that she was just like surprised that Jokic was playing well. And then that kind of went viral a bit because it's like, have you not seen them play? Anyway um well i I feel like what you're saying is kind of like it's hearkening to that a bit i'll i'll expand i think that the league has done a really good job of marketing the league in the most vapid sense of always making sure that there's something really easy to gravitate towards in the same way that reality tv is really easy to grasp onto what they've done a really bad job of is marketing the game which is the source from which everything is derived. And the interesting thing about the NBA NBA is that it has like a 24-7, 365 news cycle because it's over-indexed in a lot of areas on the pageantry. Here we go once again around the game as well. <laughs> I was using the word pageantry before we recorded, but yes. <laughs> but, but that's what I mean, right? Like they've done a yeah. really good job of marketing the marketable personalities. They've done a really good job of making sure that there's always drama and intrigue and fluff and nothingness that people can chew on. And basically there's no, there's no nutrients in it. It's just like content, 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 content. Yeah, I think like the worst part of like the worst last year was just the two plus months of like Kevin Durant trade rumors that never happened last summer. Right. That was so brutal. It It's for some people that's engaging to I had a friend actually who I was messaged and saw a fake source in my opinion it was regarding toronto raptor stuff i know some stuff about the raptors well you're an authority on who is a legit source and who isn't in so that space they were they were saying something that i deemed to be utterly false and then so what my friend said was like i'd rather get false stuff than nothing because it's at least something to talk about and i thought that that is the epitome of how fans are conditioned around the NBA. It's just like, give us something to talk about, which is why it's a lot more compelling when a team loses because everybody wants to, you know, interact in the making fun of the team sense rather than like actually dig down and be like, oh, this team won. How did that happen? And of course, as a fan, you interact with the game as much as you please, of course. But from the league's point of view, you wonder if you get to diminishing returns the farther and farther you get away from the actual source of what's okay, but, creating like. But real question, how boring is your friend though? <laughs> he won't watch this. <laughs> hey, you know, he's a good guy. That that he has nothing else to talk about. <laughs> so I'm excited for these finals. Is he just like a socially anxious person that he feels like he needs conversation starters, like ready to go? He's probably not as anxious as I am right now, to be quite honest with you. Because I'm asking you the tough (laughs) questions. (laughs) I'm on the hot seat. Um, That's fair. I mean, I do think that that is a huge window into inside a lot of the fan base right now. And I think that is why that type of content generation is really working. But I feel like at times it gets to be a bit much, like especially when you know things aren't true. Like I was, you know, weeks ago now I was talking about how frustrating the rumors around the Raptors are like just in the last year, how many huge rumors, huge widely reported rumors around our team existed that weren't real or didn't come into fruition in any way. And I'm like, this is a lot. Like, I just, you know, it wasn't like that before. Like, OG and OB demanding trades. Like, the Lakers wanting Nick Nurse. And, like, we're getting Kevin Durant. And, like, we're actually, no, we're going to blow up the team now. Like, it's just, like, a part of me enjoys engaging in the content. But then a part of me was, like, I'm exhausted by all these things that aren't real. Yeah. Well, that's last summer, I think I did... Over the course of the summer, maybe five podcasts. Um, in one of them, I talked about the Kevin Durant thing. I think it was a mailbag. 
Um, I don't find that stuff compelling. There's a reason that, you know, on this channel, Raptors Republic, uh, Trey and I are mostly doing like draft prep. Um, we're capable of that. That's good that we can do that. But if I couldn't do draft analysis, I wouldn't be doing anything because I, you know, it's if you're not talking about the basketball, then you're just talking about drama. And how long does that treadmill run? You know, are you throwing my show under the bus right now? We're about to talk about basketball. We just got, <laughs> we just got, no, we're hung up on the critique of the state of media, which I think yeah. is valid as well. Um, some people could suggest that we're navel gazing currently. I take uh, all critiques on squarely on the bald head. Okay. If, if the shoe fits, if the hat fits, whatever, but we, we are going to talk about basketball. Yeah. I mean, I think that is, but I think cause you're an analyst, like that's like, you know, you doing draft analysis is also you leaning into your strengths. Right. Where like with me, like I, I like talking about basketball from an entertainment perspective. I just like it when it's real. Yeah. You know, and I'm, just, and I'm not like constantly hypothesizing and debating things that will never happen. That feels like a waste of energy a bit. Well, that's that's probably the difference, right, is that some people, they they cut their teeth on all the fake stuff and the constant deliberation over what is fake, what is real. Whereas, you know, it can still be entertainment. You can still comment on it from an earnest point of view, like a genuine, like a, you know, a genuine point of view where it's like, hmm, I think this, I think that it's not just like constantly commenting on the periphery from the periphery, everything, all, all that kind of stuff. We've probably gone a bit far field. I Listen, sound like I, old this, man. This, this turned into a philosophical tangent, but I actually really enjoy it. I usually enjoy tangents on this show. I'll say, I'll say at the end of this, people consume the NBA however you please. This My snorts of derision at certain choices they make or how some things have progressed is not an indictment of how you, the one person, enjoy it. I just wonder if so many people enjoy it in one way, just like the NBA wanted to get away from it just being about basketball because then it ends the moment the buzzer is over. Um, it has to be diverse. And I wonder if ESPN and shows like that have moved so far away from the game and more so into the drama and the culture of it that, you know, maybe you hit diminishing returns. But the drama and culture for whoever wants to engage with it that way, do your thing. Yeah, I agree. Um Let's talk a little bit about this Eastern Conference Finals. I haven't had a chance to react to the Heat winning in seven games. I wasn't sure if it would go to seven games. And then when it did, like, I just felt like the Celtics were really, you know, obviously they put up a good fight. But a part of me was also like, if there's a team that could ever come back from being down 0-3, it could be this team. Because they're against an eighth seed in the Eastern Conference Finals. And this whole playoff run has been filled with the unexpected. That in a, in a weird way, it would almost be fitting if it did. You know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah, this is the year where all kinds of craziness happens. And then when that game-winning shot happened in game six, it felt like fate to me. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, like they could be fated to win this because that play was so improbable. And then they completely end up having this like blowout loss at home in game seven. I think it was one of the weirdest series I've ever seen. And I still feel like I'm not a hundred percent sure what to make of it. There's people just on all sides of the whole like Celtics team looking at it. Like, do they run this back? There's people talking about, blowing it up there's people talking about joe missoula's job and i've never seen so much chaos around a team that actually went to a game seven in the eastern conference finals before how did you view that series and what do you make of it so i thought that it was a war of attrition in some sense and the heat's real and meaningful commitment to having their seventh and eighth men be guys that they can run small parts of the offense around was a super big deal. And their commitment to playing strong zone and, you know, as a kind of a, a switch up, I don't, they probably played zone like 35, 40% of the time. And then playing good man to man defense, good principle defense where they're on a string. 
that was a super big deal because in the first three games, I think Jimmy Butler was playing as he often does when he's healthy in the playoffs, an extremely wonderful brand of basketball where he looks like a top five player in the world. And as you can see by the end of this series, where there's a lot of pump fakes, a lot of his lift had been sapped. He's like 33. You know, he's in NBA years, no spring chicken. The toll of the playoffs had caught up to him. And so that overt edge that the Heat had had over the Celtics evaporated. And that mixed with the Celtics getting a little bit better from three while they were catching up in the three games brought them back to 3-3. And once again, the Heat leaning into their... You know, their tertiary guys was important and they got great performances from Caleb Martin and Gabe Vincent and Duncan Robinson. And Jimmy eventually found his way and had like, you know, high 20s, close to double digit rebounds, over five assists, like classically great stuff. But the Celtics will go. I wouldn't break up the team, basically, because if Jason Tatum ever gets to the point where he can make high level reads as a passer, suddenly everything becomes a lot easier for the Celtics. And that's where the Celtics struggled was that as good as Tatum and Brown are, and especially Tatum, who unfortunately rolled his ankle at the start of the game, you can direct the way that the offense flows for the Celtics by taking things away because Jason Tatum isn't an overtly great passer. Some passers make reactive passes to who's open, and that's what Jason Tatum is. Some passers will probe a little longer and wait for the... So I'll explain like this. Sometimes the defense rotates and a guy is open. And that is a shot that typically the defense is willing to allow. It doesn't mean that they won't pay for it, but they are willing to allow it. That is the way their defense is built. Some guys can probe further so that they can create these big massive rotations where it creates open lanes to the rim a lot of the time, wide, wide open threes, or they can probe long enough to create mistakes. And that's where the real high value shots come from. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, as the leaders of the Celtics offense, they don't do that. That's why at the start of game seven, they got hunkered down into all these little slips to Al Horford and these post-ups for Al Horford, because that's where the pass was. And that meant that the Heat got to direct the Celtics offense away from Tatum and Brown, unless they're just going to be pulling up with contested jumpers into the hands of Al Horford. And that is what good defense does. And that's where if Tatum especially gets better at manipulating, he can get deeper. He can create more mistakes from the defense and he can create better looks for his teammates. He's like one of the best scorers in the world, but I would keep the team together on the off chance that, he takes that playmaking jump. That was a long answer. My well, apologies. Do you, no, it was a gr- it was a great answer. Do you think a lot of that um, has to do with coaching? Because I feel like there's been a lot of talk about the Celtics losing their defensive identity, and I think you described that more specifically than just speaking about identity. Yeah, I think that the Celtics, they're kind of anytime you the the Raptors went through this, for example, right? Like Marcus saw had an expiration date on when his off his defense started or stopped being elite. He had an expiration date on when his offense stopped being elite. Uh, the offense went first. Al Horford is in a similar spot. The Celtics, part of why they get to play the way they want to play is because Al Horford is extremely talented, positionally sound, gritty, and does it all. He's a little undersized for his position, but can hang in and allow them to be a little bit more diverse offensively and still not lose anything on defense. And will he continue to be this good, this good, this good as he ages is a big question. Him slipping a little bit with age, Marcus Smart slipping a little bit with the rigors of being a guard in the NBA. We see it happen to a lot of guards. You break down over time, especially if you're like kind of banging, chasing all the time. And they lost a lot of their defense at the back end because of Horford and at the front end because of Smart. Not because of a a lack of discipline necessarily, but, you know, wear and tear. The eventual Mm -hmm. churning of time that it does it to everybody. Um, Some guys need, they have the ability to restore that and, and rehab it and get back to where they were before. And some guys don't. And 
I would suspect that Smart is the former and Horford is probably the latter. And Robert Williams is also another guy who was forced, well, not forced, was asked to play hurt, did further damage to his body, Uh lost a little bit of his lift and explosion, and that also tangentially changed his relation to Boston's defense and his ability to hold it up too. Um, This stuff is all deeply interwoven. As far as Joe Missoula, I can't say I watched enough Celtics over the course of the season to know what he changed in this series. Um, And I'm not so sure, you know, there was the one game where the Celtics were less than, had a less than ideal effort level. But um, coaching is really tough to to critique, I think. And most people who do it um, aren't doing it properly. And I don't even think I know how to do it. So that's not saying Joe Mazzula did a good job. It's also not saying he uh, did a bad job. What but, we're saying is you're dodging the question. Yeah, so I'm trying fine. I'm trying to couch everything <laughs> in context that I hope the viewer finds valuable, I suppose. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Um, looking back at this finals matchup right now, obviously Denver is the heavy favorite going into this. Do you feel that they're also the heavy favorite? Heavy, maybe not. Okay. Favorite, favorite, I think so. Yes. So, what do you think that? What do you think is happening in the Miami Heat's favor going into the series? So, the big thing that the Heat will be able to do is to create space for their guards against a Nuggets team that is probably going to start in drop defense, and might they might have to start hedging, or or maybe start playing high drop. Either way. It's going to put more miles on Jokic than the Lakers were able to really, I think. And more miles on Jokic than the Suns were able to really, I think. And it's because of that, you know, we talked about that tenet that kind of is, you know, really prevalent in heat culture is that guys all over the place can do something. Caleb Martin hit a lot of shots, but it wasn't like he only hit catch and shoot shots. He would catch the ball. He would assess the floor, attack a closeout get into space, sometimes make a progressive read as a passer. Sometimes he's hit a shot. Sometimes he'd hesitate, see how the defense responds, then get to the rim. Gabe Vincent, the same thing. They run a whole piece of their offense around Duncan Robinson and Bam Adebayo, and that's without even mentioning Jimmy Butler. That is what makes the Heat fairly competent at attacking, I expect, the Denver Nuggets, because Phoenix, you could funnel KD and Booker into a lot of places because you knew that's where it was coming from. And you could kind of buffer Jokic at the bottom as a rim protector and a guy who will close out defensive possessions as the big guy. And you can pinch in and lift from other areas to kind of make KD and Booker into jump shooters. That's why they lost a couple games where they just shot the hell out of the ball. I think it was like 34 or 43 Devin Booker shot. Incredible. Mm -hmm. But that's still a protected in-shell defense. And the Heat, because of the different, the many different ways they can attack and the confidence they've instilled and belief they've put into guys with legitimate NBA skill sets, means that they can run their offense from a few different places, which means that the Nuggets can't protect their shell the same way every single time. They're going to get a lot of different looks that is going to make their defense uncomfortable. All that said, Jokic is maybe the best player in the world, and... Bam Adebayo wasn't big enough for that. It's yeah. going to be tough. Yeah. Um. So where do you see the series? I think six games for Denver. And I'd imagine quite a few close ones, actually. Um, the, the Nuggets are no, they're no stranger to close games and having to grind it out and try and win down the stretch. Like Jokic battling. It was a quick series against the Lakers, but these are close games. where They were all close it, games, yeah. Where it comes down to production shot making attention to detail down the stretch on both sides the nuggets they were great so so were the heat these are two teams that in the heat of battle both knew how to run their sets were both comfortable going away from their star there's like jimmy and Jokic both hit multitudes of shots down the stretch made plays but they're comfortable letting the ball go elsewhere and trying to attack weak points and that's like the epitome of playoff basketball and i think that's why both teams are here I just, there's schematics and there's like 
tertiary guys who are doing great things that the Heat will have. And Jimmy, I hope, has an awesome series. But yeah, once again, just the overwhelming presence of Jokic, the fact that they are going to have to send attention his way. And Jokic is the guy who will probe a little further, will you know, generate that mistake as well as that rotation, and will create just tons of great looks, not to mention scoring and rebounding and giving a bit of defense on his own end. It's and, and Jamal Murray is uniquely equipped as one of the best on-balance shooters. He's a guy who, if you take every NBA player, you run them through a, a drill where they have to like sprint into a handoff and shoot, or like sprint, stop themselves, backtrack into space, be off balance that way, then shoot. Jamal Murray might be the best in the league besides like Steph. And as far as ping-ponging off of a guy like Jokic, um, it's just dangerous. And they mm -hmm. have like great cutters like and shooters like KCP and um Colt or uh and and Michael Porter Jr. They have like great in-between players like like Bruce Brown. Uh the Heat are gonna have a, a handful for sure. Um, I think that is great analysis. Um, going back to just pure entertainment for a second. Um, I really love that Aaron Gordon is complimenting Jimmy Butler and saying that he is like one of the most difficult players to guard, more difficult than Kevin Durant, more difficult than LeBron James. He said, I think he watched that Celtic series <laughs> and he made notes. Okay. I think he absolutely made notes. He's like, I am not going to trash talk Jimmy Butler. And not only am I not going to trash talk him, I'm going to compliment him so much to the point where I get his ego so inflated that he thinks he has already arrived. I already think the strategy is happening. And I definitely think that that's what Aaron Gordon is doing. I, as great as Jimmy Butler is, I don't think he is more difficult to guard than Kevin Durant or LeBron James, maybe this year, but certainly not historically. Um, and I just think that was a really funny move on his part. Uh, Eric Spolstra talked about uh denver being up in the mountains how he doesn't care they'll play in mount everest yeah. if they have to uh oh and they have to come to our city too we'll turn off the ac no problem first of all i absolutely think that would be an issue for the miami heat if they turned off the air conditioning but you know i i feel like it's already happening both these teams are very hype i really wanted to pick denver in five but I am starting to feel a bit more convinced that Miami can do a bit more than that. I also think, too, like from a historical context, just the fact that they made it to the finals. Obviously, they want to win it all. But just the fact that they made it to the finals, I feel like Jimmy Butler is going to be one of those players who is revered as such a legend and no one's going to care that he didn't win a, win a ring. Like he doesn't have that you have to win a ring for us to take you seriously to another level kind of pressure because it's like so wild that he's even here. And I, and I honestly, like it, it almost reminds me of like an Allen Iverson or somebody like that who like never won a championship, but he's just so highly well-regarded. And I just feel like Jimmy Butler is in that category now. He's, he's really cool. He's funny. He's very aware of his, of how he's being perceived he knows how to play into it like the I've been at the gym since 4 a.m. And then the reports come out and he says, actually, I've been there since 2 a.m. type of behavior all the time. <laughs> He's a little memester. Also, the turning the AC off. Do you remember the heat game one and LeBron got? Yeah, yeah. He got cramps because they said he was like because of the the AC wasn't working. That's kind of a fun little throwback uh -huh. but yeah there's there's so much intrigue in this series from like a even even jimmy prior to it right when there was the markeith morris thing where Jokic body slammed him after morris put his elbow That's into right. Jokic's ribs and then jimmy was seen yelling at somebody doing like classic like come we say could that get an appearance here. from the Jokic brothers again we could get right. another appearance from them but jimmy said he wasn't talking to Jokic. He was talking to somebody else. Now, I don't know who he would have been talking to. I don't know if he's doing the Aaron Gordon thing where he's like, no, I wasn't talking to Jokic. Yeah, he's such yeah, a nice, yeah. cool guy. When you post me up, please don't, you know, slam me and, <laughs> you know, back me down under the basket and 
do a layup. And, and Aaron Gordon is like, wow, Jimmy's such a nice, cool guy too. don't do like a stutter rip into space. And then, you know, little drop off pass for a dunk or something like that. Um, I don't know. I love gamesmanship, especially when it's done tastefully. There's a bunch of tasteful gamesmanship going on here. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan. Yeah. yeah. It's great. I'm going to go. I was going to go Denver in five, but maybe I will go Denver in six. I'm going to give Miami two games. Uh, and even if they don't win those two games, they've done a lot to they've done a lot to earn it. Um, all right. Let's move on. Let's talk about coaching. Tons of huge coaching news this week. Uh, Nick Nurse signed with the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I forgot to look into like how much money and blah blah blah, but maybe that doesn't really matter. They don't for always our say how much money coach they did with, with Monty Williams. I think that's that the Detroit typically... Pistons wanted you to know how much money they're paying Monty Williams. It's kind of funny, but that's actually what that stuff is is like either the team or the agent. Agents typically, since agents are the ones who leak player contracts, that's why we see. You know, you, you're you still accessible to find player contracts, but the reason why we see them on Twitter is because agents like knowing that the dollar amount is out there and they're attached. They're like, I got my client this dollar amount. So mm. maybe Monty's agent is like 72, six years. Well, apparently hey, it's one of the biggest coaching deals ever. Yeah, totally. He he makes more than Jakob Pertl per year on his last contract. <laughs> Um, I think a lot of people are puzzled by Nick signing with the 76ers, considering he allegedly could have signed with the Bucks. They hired Adrian Griffin, but it's been reported that Nick Nurse pulled out of that deal. Um, and I think between the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Phoenix Suns being considered like the high profile, like the teams that you would want to sign with the bucks seem to be on paper, at least the most favorable. Um, I have some opinions slash theories on why I think he signed with the 76ers. Um, but I want to hear from you first. What do you, why do you think um, that happened? And do you think he's actually a good fit for that team? So I think the reason why is because Joel Embiid, um, Giannis apparently really loved Adrian Griffin. And maybe Nick didn't have that connection with Giannis. Mm-hmm. Red tea leaves, etc. Talked probably to Adrian about it. They probably talked to each other about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily as Nick saying, I'll bow out. The job's yours. You know, young Padawan. Not like that, but just mm-hmm. they were saying like, how are you feeling? How has the response been for you? All that kind of stuff. But also, if I'm Nick Nurse and I see a team with Daryl Morey and I'm an enterprising coach who will play concerts and do commercials and writes books and markets himself and clearly has a bunch of self-belief, the fact that Daryl Morey will fire a coach and start new wouldn't be as intimidating as it is impressive that Daryl Morey has been able to build a multitude of types of teams and will go all in to put good players on a team. I think Daryl Morey is also a big aspect of wanting to go to Philly because it's like, even if something doesn't work out, Daryl's probably going to put something together mm-hmm. that there's going to be a team on the floor that he can coach and try and win with. If I had to guess. And mm-hmm. the fit, obviously there's tons of stuff about Joel Embiid saying unsalacious uns- or would it be salacious, probably salacious things about Nick in the media that is the easiest bridge to put water under. It's like, oh, I didn't like you when we competed against each other. Right. Well, I'm not competing anymore. And Nick, as much as I was early critiquing him relative to other media, and some of it was play style, he's objectively, uh, there's a lot of ingenuity to what he does. And he's a good coach in the NBA. And if the 76ers wanted a guy who's a little bit more into coaching and a little less into you know hey players first and that kind of stuff then switching from doc rivers to nick nurse i think definitely hits that liberty bell wow well done well done (laughs) um i i agree with everything you're saying like i think daryl morey is a big part of it um but i also think with 
um, when you look at the Bucks and and the Phoenix Sun, I feel like their window to win a championship is so short and the pressure is so high where I feel like with the 76ers, you just have to get out of the second round <laughs> and it's considered a success, right? I mean, let's be real. You just have to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, which objectively shouldn't be hard for this team to do. And I think someone who's recently won a championship who had a heartbreaking series against them, they probably remember Nick Nurse a little differently than maybe we do. And I really believe that, like, I think there's the least amount to prove and the most to gain in this scenario. And, you know, we don't know what's happening with James Harden. But I think if he walks, there could be a sign and trade scenario. I, you know, I don't know with who, but I'm just saying, like, I don't think he could. He has a good relationship with Maury that I don't think he would just walk for nothing is what I'm saying. If he does leave, I think there could be a world where they talk it out and they get something back for James Harden if he does leave. And, you know, Tyrese Maxey is a really awesome player. I, I'm really high on him. I actually think he could potentially reach an all-star level in his career. Like, I think he's, I think he's great. And then I think um, with Embiid, I know everybody's like, oh, this, he, this guy's going to lose his knees and blah, blah, blah. Like Nick Nurse is going to play him so many minutes. I'm pretty confident that Joel Embiid will probably rest more games going forward. Like, I think, I think when he does play, Nick Nurse is going to play him a lot. But I could see a world where he rests more games and like he I could have seen him in a in my mind in the interview. He is selling them on how they rested Kawhi and how they were able to keep him healthy to win a championship. Not to say that that's all on Nick or anything like that, but I'm just saying in an interview, I could see him selling the team on that. I think that's the same thing with the Raptors interviews they've been doing for a coach. If you come in pitching, I'm going to build a team that maybe wins the second round. I'm going to coach them around Pascal Siakam. It's probably not going to be as compelling to the front office as saying, Scotty Barnes there. I actually know how to unlock this guy. This is what it's going to look like. And you're going to have his rookie contract, his extension, and hopefully into the future, I'm going to be coaching this guy I understand and will build elite offenses around or something like that. That's going to be really compelling. Nick Nurse reportedly was like, I know how to do it with Joel and mm -hmm. to really service this team around Joel and maybe to use to initiate offense in different places and to make him more of a playmaking hub and you know, you can't always make reads. This is maybe back to the Joe Missoula thing. You can't always make a player into a better playmaker, but you can structure offensive sets and make some offensive principles so that reads become easier and they're better shots being, you know, selected because Joel Embiid is also a guy who struggles with double teams sometimes. Triple teams, Raptors fans would know. But mm -hmm. that's that's something that Nick Nurse probably made a compelling case for building around Embiid. And yeah, you're right. There's like Tyrese Maxey is awesome. James Harden is still unbelievably good. Like he's not scoring 37 points a game anymore, but the fact that he had hamstring problems, lost a lot of his burst and because of his manipulation and ball skills was immediately able to start leading the league in assists three years in a row mm -hmm. is pretty, that's pretty nuts. Um, if they get something back, hopefully it's good for their sake. Um, Tobias Harris, despite probably not being everyone's idea of a $37 million player is objectively good at basketball and will help you win games. Um, maybe more during the regular season than in the playoffs, but there's lots of stuff to like on Philly and Nick is pretty good at getting a lot out of teams provided that the team doesn't start disliking him and then tuning him out. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason for Philadelphia to dislike him. He might even get a few years there before that happens. Fingers yeah. crossed for their sake. Or yeah. if you don't like them, fingers the other way, you know? Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe Nick Nurse will get booed on the road and at home. Who knows? <laughs> Do you, I, I don't think <laughs> they get boo booed. their own team a lot. Did they ever boo Doc? 
I feel like it's hard for a coach to know that boos are about him unless it's in like the opening, like they say, like, and your also, coach, they're, they're such narcissists that it's like, that's not about me specifically. That's what, yeah, that's what that's I That's about, that's about the team. That's about this person and this person, you know? That's like, I wonder Anthony Bass, you know, he's the guy, the Blue Jays pitcher who had the post where he's like anti LGBTQ and. You know, he started getting booed by his own fans when he was up on the mound. And I wonder if he's like, they must hate this batter, you know, just throw, you know, <laughs> he didn't realize it was about, <laughs> that him. Was about him. He's oh like, this God. nice Christian audience clearly subscribes to my, my worldview. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I feel bad for Buddy in the batter's box. I'd hate to be booed like this. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I think in that case, he might have known it was him. He might have yeah, known it was him. He, he might have. But yeah, it's funny yeah. to think that maybe he didn't. Um, do you have any thoughts on Adrian Griffin going to the Bucks? Uh The players here liked him a lot. And Giannis liked him a lot. There's a funny thing about the Raptors that I tried to dive into this. Blake tried to dive into this a couple of years before me. Every beat writer has tried to dive into this. The Raptors do not or try their best not to tell anybody what each coach is responsible for. Maybe you could say that Adrian Griffin was pretty good on the player development side and that he established close bonds with players because of this. Um, maybe some people would say, well, actually, I thought he was pretty good with the pen. He, he had these unique insights on scheme and, and versatility or something like that. But the Raptors are not an organization that will come out and say, this is the role that Adrian Griffin played. Um, I know that the players liked him. I know that Giannis reportedly really likes him too. Godspeed. Well, why, why do you think that is? Why do you think the Raptors keep that close to the chest? I think that it makes it so, you know, if your head coach is going to be fighting your assistant coaches, um, you want them to get beat up less in media. So if you <laughs> don't tell anybody's, responsibilities they can't be critiqued for them you know wow just the that's for levity but i i do think it's because they did that before there was any drama in the coaches circle by the way but i i do think that it's because as soon as you label somebody as x if x ever fails then they get the brunt of it even though that there's like a head coach and players who have more input, the head coach has more input than the assistant coach. And certainly the players affect the outcomes of these plays more than anybody else. So I think it's just because the public doesn't need to know. And then you don't have to worry about credit being assigned or anything like that. And yeah, the organization knows the players know what guys do. And the impact on court is the same. So it doesn't seem like there's much upside. You know, I think the, I haven't watched the latest season of Ted Lasso, but Ted Lasso, there was that coach who was like, why am I not getting enough credit? I'm the genius boy over here. Maybe if they, and he goes to the media or something like that. I don't know where I'm going with this, but there's like coaching <laughs> drama. Maybe this keeps it to a lesser degree. Yeah. 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 That's my take. But it's but it's your job as a journalist, I suppose. Were you and Blake trying to find out? I've asked, yes, of course. I was I tried talking to a ball boy. I I went to a ball boy and I was like, hey, his name was Michael, and I was like, hey, I think I'd be interested in writing about development from the about the team, and I want to talk to everybody from the ball boy to to the coaches, the development coaches, and I want to hear like what role you play in helping a player develop their skills and you can't get anything, you know, not like, not wow, he was not, like, I'm not going to talk to you. He was like, let me ask the answer. <laughs> the answer didn't come. And it's not like a ball boy isn't going to do it. Like an assistant coach or a coach or something like that can give you something off the record. And they're, you know, that they're, they're paid like hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. But there's like a ball boy who's like, I like my job on the team. He doesn't want to upset anybody. Why would mm -hmm, you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do that? Mm -hmm. I'm up against it. Bureaucracy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> doing doing my best to take it down. Yeah. Um, 
Fair. Fair. Uh, I want to talk to you a bit about the Raptors head coaching search. Uh, I'm sure you've talked about it a lot on all your pods. It's uh, it's still underway. It's been, has it been six weeks now? Yeah. Has it, it been that be, long? About be, six weeks? Yeah, about six weeks, yeah. Uh, without a coach. Why, um, what's your assessment on uh, this coaching search taking a long time? seemingly taking a long time you can tell me if this isn't if this is actually a reasonable amount of time and based on you know who's been rumored who hasn't been rumored who do you think or who would you like to see as a front runner in this so i the podcast came out today actually i had a conversation with eric kareen and blake murphy and we kind of talked about this and both of them said that they liked chris quinn and jordy fernandez and blake even had talked to Jordy Fernandez as far back as 2015-16 when he was the head coach of the Canton Charge. And I had a long conversation with Caitlin Cooper and Evan Gualberto. Caitlin, who is the best NBA writer in the world, certainly, yeah, she's fantastic. And Evan, who coaches high-level high school basketball in the States, about how tough it is to kind of project coaches and actually say when a coach is doing well or good and the, the constant conception of what we critique is maybe not as accurate as we would hope. It's a very nebulous position, which makes it hard to project. The only thing I think is that you're looking for boxes to be ticked. Like, okay, you've done this in your past, like player development. You've reportedly had good relationships and people say you're smart. And you also haven't assaulted anyone sexually or done anything <laughs> like that. Like this is the stuff we're looking. That's the good stuff. As far as I can tell, everybody the Raptors are interviewing checks these boxes, but everything past that is not information I have. I don't know if that's completely true. Cause I do think there's windows into like, uh, like coaching philosophy, you know, especially if they've coached before then I do think you have more data as to what type of coach they are. Certainly. So the reason why that's tough with this one is a lot of the guys, the Raptors are interviewing are assistant coaches. That's what makes it like, it's you sure there's Kenny Atkinson. Sure. There's like Sergio Scariolo at the, who was, you know, assistant coach with the Raptors yeah. and has been a head coach overseas and with the Spanish national team. But you don't know what it's going to look like dealing with NBA players. For one, like Sergio Scariol saying that Kyle Lowry was like dismissive of him and that Kawhi Leonard didn't talk to him for the first month is like a real insight into trying to command a room of these multimillionaires who are just towering men who are like have physical perfection and also a lot of times have the mentality that was necessary to get them to that place, like a maniacal work ethic about and, and consideration of their own flaws and attributes. A lot of this stuff, it's you never know what the leader of men aspect is going to look like. Even if you can look back and say, oh, Jordy Fernandez, when he was here, he ran the Princeton offense or something like that, right? Or, right. or, you know, like Trevor Gleason coming out of Australia, you say, well, he ran like the flex offense, something like that. You can understand the philosophies, but truthfully, we have no idea how it's going to go. I know this is like unsatisfying, and this is why I've had a tough time talking about the coach stuff, but it's nobody had any idea about Nick Nurse, like none. Nobody had any idea about half these guys. It's just tough. Right. I mean, yeah. I think that's certainly true. Like if we do end up hiring an assistant or somebody who hasn't been a head coach in the NBA yet, but I just feel like there's so many rumored people who have been a head coach in the NBA or in Becky Hammond's case, a head coach in the WNBA that you do kind of have like more insight into who they are and what they're going to bring or not going to bring. Like somebody like a, I mean, I don't think we're going to hire doc rivers, but I mean, we have a lot of data on that guy. You know what I mean? Or even yep. to some degree, like a Steve Nash, like Steve Nash has been heavily rumored in the position. And I feel like we have a lot of data on like who Steve Nash is. Now I think like as the Brooklyn head coach, things were just so chaotic 
that I feel like we actually probably don't even know who he is or who he wants to be as a head coach, but we do have a lot of intel into like who he was as a player and like his playing style and philosophy that way. So I think you, I think maybe it's possible that you and some media are being a touch uh, modest. I think you know, <laughs> I think I've you never actually been know a little, life. that's not true. I think you all know a little more than you're leading on, but you don't want to be wrong. And I get that. And, <laughs> but I do think with some of these rumored coaches, we know a bit more about them than that, than that checklist that you gave is all. Sure. But I agree with assistance. We, you're right. We don't know what their leadership style is going to be. We don't know how they're going to command a room. We don't know how, you know, they're going to get the buy-in from a team early in a season. So yeah, those questions will certainly remain. Um, I'll say, I'll say something then. Um, I've heard really good things about Jordy. Jordy who? Jordy Fernandez. Jody. Thank you. For, from, is it Jody? Jordy. It's Jordy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. From Sacramento. Heard good things. I, if I had to pick somebody, I initially was like, Becky Hammond would be really interesting. I would, I, I wanted to see that barrier broken. And even if there was maybe a better selection for the Raptors, I was like, coaching is both important and sometimes not important. I would rather see that barrier be broken and Becky Hammond win like 44 games with the Raptors or 38 games with the Raptors rather than like, some other guy in 40 and 47, like the range of outcomes I was fine with. I just, because performance is important, of course, but also some things, some things have to happen. It would have, it would have been cool to see it happen in Toronto. Um, but Jordy Fernandez, that's not happening at this point anymore. Um, but Jordy Fernandez. Is that confirmed that that's not happening anymore at this point? Uh, it wasn't even really. It wasn't ever really a thing. It's it was like in the ether, and then Toronto's like, "Hey, we want to talk to you." And Becky's like, "I'm not taking any time away from these boys or from these women to go, you know, yeah. talk about those boys, that kind of stuff." And then, then she got suspended, and there was all that hubbub. And I think it's just the same way that Adrian Griffin, when he first was considered for, you know, uh, future coaching jobs, stuff came out about. You know, Mm -hmm. what he was accused of by his wife is like, that makes teams not want to do it right then and there. That that almost happened to like Chauncey Bills, for example, was, you know, it was like almost recanted, right? They're like, wait, 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 okay, we have to look into it. But then they decided to do it anyway. And um, and that was with Jason Kidd as well, right? Jason Kidd Mm -hmm. um, had to do a year as an assistant coach before. So there's like timing things and maybe Becky Hammond gets it in the future, but it became probably whether it's fair or not. She's not going to get a head coaching position in the NBA the same uh, off season or same span of time where she's doing, I guess, the equivalency of workplace harassment per an investigation. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that I would, I can't confirm a hundred percent, but I would say probably not yeah. going to be the case. Yeah. Who would you who who would you like to see? Like, what do you want to see happen? I think uh, I would like Jordy Fernandez. Why? Why would you like him? He is. Do you know who Pep Guardiola is? He's a very famous soccer slash football coach, one of the best in the world, and Jordy is his cousin. There's already excellence in the family, and. I had a tweet where so I said it's I've... confirmed Samson loves a Nepo baby. And also I had a tweet right that said I thought long and hard about the Raptors coaching position. I think they should hire a bald guy. Now, obviously I was not talking about myself. Jory Fernandez is a bald man. I'm thinking that a bald man has heard so many insults about himself, his immutable characteristics his whole life, that all the Whatever the NBA players have to throw at him, he can just throw it right back. He, he It'll slide off his head. That's what I was thinking. We've had a bald coach before. Yep. Like 15 years ago. 
Chase Triano. Because <laughs> Dwayne Casey wasn't bald. He, he still no. had the hairline. Yeah. He was crisp, man. He's a Dwayne Casey. He and hmm, I think he was probably my favorite interview, like press conference that we got this season. He he was so gracious with his time when he came in. I'm just kind of talking about a thing that happened. It's not relevant, but he was so gracious with his time. He was so kind to media and he was so loving in his approach to way the way he talked about his players, the time he had spent in Toronto. And I was just like, God, it would be cool if the Raptors hired a good person. You mean like they rehired Dwayne Casey? No, he's that's obviously not happening. But I'm just saying I hope that the person they hire has a, a warmth to them that mm-hmm. extends to everybody. Mm-hmm. And of course they have to be able to coach a basketball team. But I love when good people have high paying jobs and good people have meaningful employment and stuff like that. So I hope they hire a good person. Mm-hmm. That's my that's mm-hmm. my number one hope, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they can draw up something on a clipboard. Wow. Would you ever see yourself like getting into like the team ranks? I don't I don't know enough about basketball for that. Like not remotely. I don't know if that's true. That's true. That's totally true. I if you talk to I talk to coaches, they know way more about basketball than me. Um somebody who coaches at the high school level knows like infinitely more about the discipline of basketball than I do. I I talk about it and I like basketball and I know something. But I, I can't contribute. And you to played it as well, didn't you? I can't contribute to an organization. Not like that. I can just talk and hope people enjoy it. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> um, Samson, that has been our episode. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for getting slightly existential on the show. Uh, appreciate it as always. Um let us know what are you what are you up to this summer? What can we expect from you? What do you have going on? I think I'll be at Summer League. Uh, oh, covering... that's exciting! Yeah, I've never been to Vegas, so uh, I hope I'm there, and that'll be fun. Way in the future, like September, I'll do the outside looking in thing again, where I try and talk to twenty nine other people about their team and the Raptors, so that people can gobble up what other people think of their team, which is always an important aspect. That's why right. that's why national media is so big, because it's like, we don't care if Samson thinks X about the Raptors. We know that. Does Bill Simmons think the Raptors are good? Because that's like, wow, validation from the outside. And I'm looking to do that 29 times uh, before the season starts. But Summer League should be good. There's draft coverage and all that good stuff. Oh my God, is someone paying you to go to Summer League? Huh? You don't have to answer that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I can't, have... I can't that do is fantastic. I can't do stuff for free. Just I, making sure. I, I'm pro labor. That means I can't do stuff for free. I That's can't do fair. internships. I can't do there, whatever. There you go. Good. Yeah. There you go. Pro Message labor. to everybody out there. I'm pro labor. So if you ever need assistance, I, somebody come pick it with you. Just let me know. I got an email if I wanted to join the writer's strike uh, protests. And? Uh, I don't know if I'm going to go or not. I should go. Wh- I where? Should go. It would where be like, they... it's like, it would be like a Toronto Canadian, like, writer solidarity with the American writers thing. I watched some stuff on the one in LA, but I wasn't sure if you it was going to be localized to Toronto. You should do it. Yeah, there's a, there's a with writers. There's actually quite a bit of crossover. Like there's a lot of people that are like in, work in both countries, work in both unions. I I signed with a U.S. literary agent just before the strikes because I know I'm good with my timing. You know what I mean? I'm really good with my timing, and we'll see if anything ever comes of it. My fingers are crossed. You should go pick it though. Go stand go and chant. It. That's what I'll be up to this summer. Just. Uh, in a in a strike that's going to last a very long time. <laughs> that's what I'm up to. Um, but we should uh, we should probably wrap this up. 
Samson, thank you again. Thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning in. I'll be back next week. I'm probably going to keep doing podcasts, well, until the end of the season. Then I'll do a draft episode. And then if free agency turns out to be a big deal, then I'll do an episode about that. So that's what's happening with this show. And then the rest of my summer coverage will be with the WNBA. So check that out as well. Uh, Thank you again. And we'll catch you next time. Bye.